honor to be here tonight and to get to preach to you also. Let's see, is the mic set up right? Is it too close or not close enough? It's fine? Okay. So, anyways. Father, Lord, I come before you tonight, and I thank you for how good you are and how wonderful you are. I pray you'd give me the strength to preach your word in a way that would honor you and glorify you. Give me your wisdom, Father, Lord. Give me your utterance that you may be glorified in all that is said and all that is done and all that is heard and all that is thought. Christ's name I pray. Amen. As I was praying about what to preach to you tonight, I felt the Lord was leading me to talk to you about knights in shining armor and the challenges they faced as they attempted to fight for truth and justice. It is really loud up on the platform. The feedback is really loud. Anyways, fight for truth and justice, defend the honor of the fair maidens of the kingdom, and slay the dragons that disturb their people. I know, of course, that much of this idea was never more than an ideal. It's really loud on the platform. The, okay. I know, of course, that much of this idea was never more than just an ideal, but I still want you to put on your imagining caps, and I want you to think of one of these knights in shining armor as he, as he um, fights with a fierce and a ferocious dragon. He's journeying to the castle of his master, he spies the smoke of a uh, he spies the he spies the smoke of a fiery dragon's nostrils in a valley nearby. Since it is not every day that a knight gets the chance to have the honor of fighting with a fire-breathing dragon, he spurs his horse towards the smoke. He unsheathes his sword and prepares for battle. Yet as he enters the lair of the dragon, as he feels the warmth of the hot smoke coming towards him, his horse is startled. As he struggles to gain control of his horse, he drops his sword, loses control, it drops down on the ground. Hearing the clank of the sword, the dragon comes out quickly. And without his weapon, the knight, brave as he is, is powerless to face his enemy. Scarcely escaping with his life, he gallops off to his castle with the dragon not that far behind. Barely making it through the door ahead of his adversary, he is faced with a choice. A choice that will reveal what kind of knight he really is. It is possible that he could be so frightened by the dragon that his first priority becomes to find a safe place to hide. He could ask the king to hide him from the dragon's wrath. He could ask the king to send out an army to kill the dragon so that it will never bother him again. He could respond to the situation in this way. But if he did, he will have failed in his calling as a knight. You see, a knight is supposed to be fighting dragons. That is what he as a knight is called to do. That is what his shining armor is for. That is what his calling is. A truly valiant knight would ask the king not to hide or deliver him from the dragon, but to give him the weapons that he needs to go out and do his job. A fresh horse that's not startled easily, 
a good sword and a spear and whatever else he needs to go out and fight the dragon. He's going to ask the king, can I have a drink of water? Can I have a sword? Can I have a spear? Can I have whatever he needs to go out and do what he's called to do? That is what would be honorable in him to do. A good knight wouldn't ask for a hole to hide in, but rather for weapons to fight with. A true knight would rather perish doing his duty than seek a dishonorable safety. That's what the ideal of being a knight is. And though I know that it was never perfectly kept, there were even those, even in the Middle Ages, who did keep that kind of idea. That it is better to perish doing your duty than to stay in safety and be dishonored. It is the king's job to keep his servants safe. It is the king's servant's job to fight for the king and the kingdom. Now, I hope you found my little story interesting. I don't know if you did or didn't, but I hope you didn't come here tonight just to hear me tell stories that I made up all by myself. We came here tonight to learn from the Word of God, and so it's high time that we all opened our Bibles. And please open your Bibles to the book of Acts in chapter 4 and verse 23. Miss Pam smiling at me because she heard an earlier version of this message, so I hope she'll bear with me. And some of the teens heard it as well. But hopefully you won't mind hearing it again. So in Acts chapter 4, verse 23, it says, And being let go, they went to their own company and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said unto them. And when they heard that, they lifted up their voice to get to God with one accord and said, Lord, thou art God, which, made, which hath made heaven and earth and the sea, and all that in them is, who by the mouth of thy servant David hath said, Why did the heathen rage, and the people imagine vain things? The kings of the earth stood up, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For of a truth, against thy holy child Jesus, whom thou hast anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together. For to do whatsoever thy hand and thy counsel determined before to be done. And now, Lord, behold their threatenings and grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word by stretching forth thine hand to heal and that signs and wonders may be done by the name of thy holy child Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and they spake the word of God with boldness. These verses occur shortly after, just to give some of the context, shortly after Peter and John had been imprisoned and threatened by the Jewish Sanhedrin, by the Jewish leaders. We had that they they were there, and they had the day of Pentecost, and everything was going wonderful. And then at some unspecified time afterwards, maybe a few days, maybe a few weeks, we don't know, they're going to pray in the temple. And as they're going to pray in the temple... There's a lame man who asked them for alms. Most of you probably know this story. Probably all of you know the story. But just to refresh your memory, there's a lame man who's there. He asked them for alms. Peter says, silver and gold have I none. But such as I have give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And the man rose up and walked. And everyone was astounded because he was this man that was more than 40 years old. And he was walking. He had never walked a day in his life. 
And so Peter preached the gospel. And you had thousands of people coming to Christ. And everything was going wonderful. And it would have been wonderful to be a Christian right about them. And as Peter is preaching in the temple, here come the guards of the Sanhedrin. Tap Peter on the shoulder. Take him off to jail. And the lame man who had been healed and John, and they leave them all night in jail. And I'm pretty sure that the the head of the Sanhedrin made sure they didn't get any supper, made sure they were as uncomfortable as possible. You know, I don't think they got the American prison system treatment from the Sanhedrin. I don't think that was what was going on. And then the next day, they took him before the Sanhedrin. And one thing you should know about the Sanhedrin that would just kind of capture some of the drama of what was taking place as the Sanhedrin, as far as we know from historical records, would sit in a semicircle, almost a complete circle as they deliberated. And that's what it means when they said they set them in the midst. So they have up above them on their chairs, all around them, all these learned and old and powerful men in Israel, as powerful as any Jewish person would be, people with the money, the people with the power, And they put these guys... And remember, these guys hadn't gone to the rabbinic school. Now, the Jewish people as a whole were very well educated, very well, very literate for that time period. And and, and even for today, a very literate society. But he had not gone to the rabbinic school, the rabbinic seminary in Jerusalem. He would have been taught to read at the synagogue, but he he didn't have the PhD. Some of these guys did. In fact, most of them would have the equivalent of what we would think of, you know, educated doctor so-and-so, and and it wasn't given honorary, he earned it. (coughs) (coughs) Pardon me, sorry about that. And so here are these people, these guys, in the middle of all of these very powerful, intimidating people. And and, And they look down on them, and they threaten them, and they talk down to them, and they say, you don't preach in the name of Jesus anymore. You hear that? Don't preach in the name of Jesus. Don't do it. And if you do it, we're going to, oh, you're going to die just like he did. And he doesn't say what their threats were. But, you know, after they just like got Jesus crucified, I think they probably knew how to kind of get some bluster going on. And they were really giving them a hard time. And if you can just imagine, I mean, the intimidation factor that would be there. It wasn't just standing before one judge. You've got 70 judges sitting above you, and you're in the middle. That'd be pretty scary. And they were threatened, and they were let go. That's when these verses take place. It was like the knight who got away from the dragon, just barely, this time. They were allowed to return to the other believers. It's verse 23. Verse 24 to 30 What did they do? What did they pray for? They were faced with this challenge. They were faced with the threatenings and the opposition of the devil himself through the work of of his ministers, these leaders and these people, some of whom even were sincere but were being used by the devil to oppose the work of the gospel. In verse 24, we have their prayer. When they heard that, they lifted up their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, thou art God, which hast made heaven and earth and the sea and all that in them is. So they start 
by interpreting their circumstances in the light of God's word. What we very frequently do is we interpret God's word in the light of our circumstances. So instead of going to God and saying, all right, God, here are our circumstances. Let's find some place, you know, let's, let's see, let's, let's go to the word of God and let's say, oh, wow, okay, the, what we're going through, you know, it's like, it's like um, you know, this is the exception to the rule. You know, I know what the rule is, but let's figure out some way of, of making the word of God relevant and, and this is what I'm going through. So what does God have to say for what I'm going through? You know, this is my life right now. And, and you got to help me with my felt need. Okay, that is the way that we, even Christians, sometimes think. And hopefully not quite that dramatically. I was trying to be a little funny. But this is the way that the world, in, in, in Christianity as a whole, many times, not all the time, but many times go to the Word of God and interpret it in light of their experience. Well, the apostles interpreted their experience in light of God's word. God's word provided the framework for understanding what was taking place in their life. That is key. And they go to scripture and they say, first of all, we're going to start with understanding who God is. The God that made the heaven, the God that made the earth, the God that made the sea, the God made everything that is in all of those places. Who by the mouth of thy servant David hath said, why did the heathen rage? And the people imagined vain things. The kings of the earth stood up, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For of a truth, against thy holy child Jesus, whom thou hast anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, were gathered together for to do whatsoever thy hand and thy counsel determined before to be done. By, and now, Lord, behold their threatenings and grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word. And they go on to ask for how they're going to have that boldness by stretching forth thy hand to heal and that signs and wonders may be done by the name of thy holy child, Jesus. And they ask God, God, in light of the fact that your word told us that we were going to be facing this opposition, God, we know that what we're going through isn't a surprise to you. We're not saying, hello, God, did you forget about me? You're not treating me right. This isn't fair. I mean, I, I, I thought this was supposed to be like a piece of cake and like a bed of roses and like all this kind of stuff. Um, and, 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 you know, it's just not fair. It's just not right. No, they went to God and they said, God, we know you planned this. You knew all about this, Right. You knew what was going on, and so now we're going to interpret how we're being treated by what you already told us, understanding that you prophesied it, and now we pray for boldness to keep preaching the gospel. And lo and behold, when they interpreted their circumstances in the light of what God had already said, and then asked God, their request took account of what God had said, Right? Their requests were based upon an interpretation of what was going on that came from the word of God. When they prayed like that, then God answered their prayer. I mean, listen to what God did. And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. And guess what? They spake the word of God with boldness. When you pray in accordance with the word of God, you will be answered in accordance with the power of God. 
Well, we're not just here to talk about what the disciples did and what they experienced. I love to read commentaries, but hopefully when I preach a message, I'm, I'm, at least I'm trying to aim to apply it to life, to take it a step further, not to just tell you what happened, but to tell you what is always true about the way that God works, and then to try to show you what that looks like in your life, what that ought to look like in your life, and if it doesn't look that way, how to get it looking that way. That's what the purpose of preaching is. So I'm going to try to preach a sermon, and in preaching that, we need to understand that there is going to be opposition to faithful presentation in life and word of the gospel. You try to live out the gospel, you try to preach the gospel, you try to witness the gospel, you are going to face opposition. That opposition could come from many sources. It could come from your own sinful heart. If you try to live out the gospel in your life, you will face opposition from your own heart. Yes, that is true. And if you try to preach the gospel with your words, you're going to face opposition from those that are on the other side of God's agenda. You identify yourself with God's agenda. I'm doing what God wants me to do. I'm part of God's kingdom. I'm spreading the gospel message. Well, God isn't, you're not fighting against a paper, a paper devil. A paper, the, the kingdom of, of this world, the kingdom, the opposition is real. God doesn't just set, send you out there to fight some sort of make-believe battles. No, the battle is real and the opposition is real. And the Bible takes account of that and it does not make light of it. You will face opposition. If you're not, there's something wrong with your faithful presentation of the gospel. It evidently isn't faithful enough. Because you will face opposition. Sooner or later, as you serve God, it's not going to be easy. This opposition, when we face it, when we come across, boom, I'm trying to get up to read my Bible and I don't want to get out of bed. All right, that's opposition from your flesh. I'm trying to witness to someone and lo and behold, they already have their own set of beliefs. All right, you're facing opposition. You try to tell the truth. And somebody lies about you and, and makes it look like you're telling a lie because you told the truth. All right, you're facing opposition. And we'll get into some more details of that at the end. All right? The opposition should not shock us because these opposers can do nothing except what God's counsel has determined beforehand to be done. You see, the worst opposition that the cause of Jesus Christ ever faced was the cross. Right? Is that the worst event of all of history? I mean, that's the most evil thing that has ever happened. That the infinitely pure Son of God should suffer on a cross. The sign of shame and degradation. And yet that Roman cross was determined beforehand by God. The opposition of Herod, the opposition of the Jews, of Pontius Pilate, that was part of God's plan. So if that was part of God's plan, do you think he's surprised by the fact that your co-worker doesn't like that you have a Bible with you? No, he's not shocked. If you're facing opposition, it's because God already knew about it, already planned for it, and when he planned your life, he took the problems you're facing into account. We must be identifying ourselves with the right side of God's agenda. There's no neutrality in this battle. You can't say, you know what? You know, this fighting, you know, the forces of evil stuff is just a little too intense for me. I like doing that on video games, but not in real life. I'm just going to kind of sneak over to the side. No. 
There's no side. You're this side or you're that side. And you better identify yourself pretty clearly on God's side or you're in for some trouble outside the scope of this message. In light of this opposition, in light of the fact that we are called to be serving God, to be fighting His battles, we ought to be, and in light of the fact that we're facing this opposition, we need to pray for boldness to keep faithfully presenting and living out the gospel. If that's what we're called to do, and we are, and we know that we're going to face opposition, and we know that we will, then we need to be asking our commander for boldness to keep serving him in spite of the opposition that's coming. Because if we know something's not going to be easy, and we know we're supposed to do it, then we need to go to the one who has what we need to do what we're supposed to do, even though it's not easy. We are God's slaves. And verse 29, And now, Lord, behold their threatenings, and grant unto thy servants. The word servant here, if you think of it, if you think of it as a house servant, you've got the wrong idea. If you look up servant in the Oxford English Dictionary, it will tell you that when it's used in the New Testament, it means slave. And I could give you a whole bunch of confirmatory evidence, but that's for an English class, not for a sermon. It's not a mistranslation. It's part of the history of the English language. And if you really want to know, I'll tell you later. But what we need to realize is that we belong to him. We are owned by him. We do not set our own agenda. That is the key idea of a slave versus an employee. An employee can say, you know what? I've had it. Just get out of my life. I can, I don't, I'd rather be on unemployment than work for you even one more day. And then when you get fired, you can say whatever you want. You get your unemployment and, and you go look for another job or whatever. You know, an employee does have choice. Now, in this economy, not as much choice as maybe 20 years ago or 30 years ago you would have had. But still, he can't go home with you and like tell you what to do. You know, or shouldn't. That, that you could bring a lawsuit. Then you don't have to work. All right? But a slave isn't like that. God is in control of all of our circumstances, including the opposition. Once we realize that he's in control of our circumstances, including the opposition of those that persecute and the opposition of our, all that we're facing, we will not be primarily concerned with praying for his protection. We belong to him and he has the right to dispose of us as he pleases. If we are God's property, right, then it's his job to provide us with protection. And if we need it, he'll give it to us. See, if, if our lives belong to ourselves, then we need to look out for old number one, and we need to say, you know, that's a dangerous job. I don't think I'll take it. But if we are the property of the master and not our own, you are bought with a price, you are not your own. This is a clear teaching of Scripture. If that is the case, then we really don't have a right to be primarily concerned about ourselves. It's his job to worry about his property. It's our job to worry about his mission. Instead of praying for God to prove his faithfulness to us by giving us what we want, we ought to pray that he might enable us to be faithful to him, something that is very much more in doubt. 
Now, I'm not saying here you can never pray for God to heal you. You can never pray for God to help you to have any, you know, for a difficult thing you're going through. Okay, that's not what I'm saying. If you go home and you say, you know, Peter preached that you should never pray for God to take care of you. You should never pray for provision. Never, ever. Okay, you got the wrong idea. But if the emphasis of your prayer is your own personal comfort, you're not praying biblically. If the emphasis of your prayer is, oh God, you know, you're not, you know, you aren't smart enough to take care of your property. You know, I need to tell you what to do. No, God doesn't need to be told what to do. God proves his faithfulness every day. Right? God has the right to determine how he will fulfill his faithfulness. What's very much more in doubt, wait, we don't need to pray for God to protect his property. It's not wrong to do that, but we don't need to be worried about that. No, what's much more in doubt, what the focus of our prayer ought to be, is whether we will have the moral fortitude to do what he's told us to do. God will do what he said he'll do. He'll never leave us. He'll never forsake us. That's not in doubt. What is in doubt is whether we will have the boldness to do what he told us to do in spite of the opposition that we're facing. If we are seeking to identify ourselves with God's plans rather than trying to find somewhere biblical or semi-biblical or extra-biblical support for our plans, we will be praying in accordance with his will and he will be able to answer our prayers even in miraculous ways. When you face difficulty or when you pray for others that are in difficulty, do you pray for boldness in the face of the opposition that is, after all, a part of God's plan? Or do you pray for God to change his plan? To put it in a way that I... When you pray, when you pray for yourself or for others, do you ask God to fix his counsel or do you ask him to enable his servants? To put it in a way that I hope will be memorable once I explain what I mean, do you spend more time praying for boldness or for balminess? What does the word balmy mean, okay? Here's the definition I, I, I condensed from the, Oxford, from the dictionary. Deliciously mild, fragrant, and soothing. Think of your perfect temperature in a hammock, on the beach, with no one there to bother you, with pleasant music with a lemonade or an iced tea or an iced coffee or an iced espresso, whatever your preference is. You've got a place to set it and you can drink and sip out of it and the breeze blows gently and your favorite bird is singing. You never have to work another day in your life. You're getting the idea of what balminess is. So many times... That is the goal towards which the prayer life of Christians is striving. Oh God, if I had more money. Or God, or, or, oh Lord God, if you would just give me everybody to love me and everybody to like me and everybody to give me money and give me stuff and extra vacation and the weather to be wonderful and just never to have another worry a day in my life. That would be a balmy lifestyle. Well, that isn't what the Christian life looks like. Not here, not in the future, not in the past, not ever. 
That's not the job of a slave. That's not the job of a soldier. That's not a good description of an honest knight. If a knight acted that way, he should, or at least he ought, to lose his spurs. He ought to be no knight at all, because he's not acting like one. Are you more concerned with escaping the dragons in your life or with receiving the grace of God to fulfill your calling by fighting them. God knows the rest that you need. I am not saying that rest or vacation or nice weather is bad. What I'm saying is that God already has all that stuff figured out. God knows what his servants need. God loves us. He sent Jesus to die for us after all. If you're a believer, God already has better things in store for you than you could ever ask for yourself. But what I am saying is it's not your job to be primarily concerned with making your life more pleasant. No, it's your job to be concerned with serving God boldly and fighting the enemy boldly and let God worry about taking care of his servants. He knows what you need to serve him more efficiently. And if you need a vacation to do it, then he'll give you one. But if you're so busy trying to serve yourself, then that's not what you need. What you need is um, some discipline. And all you'll be is be frustrated. But if you'll be on God's agenda and you'll pray for the boldness to serve God, you're going to see the joy of having God answer your prayers because you're praying in accordance with his word. When you go through difficult circumstances as you serve Christ, as you serve Christ, is your primary concern to escape the difficult circumstances or to be enabled to continue to serve Christ? Instead of focusing your prayers on escaping from trials, escaping from difficulties, you should instead pray for boldness and faithfulness to keep serving God in spite of them. You are supposed to be God's knight. Don't pray for a hole to hide in. Pray for a sword to fight with. Pray for the strength to fight on. Of course, we know the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, and I'm not advocating killing or destroying anyone or anything, but I think you get the idea. You know, if you're at work or you're at school, when you get made fun of for being a Christian, and you say, you know what, I'm going, to go to, I'm going to go to my workplace, and I'm going to dress like a Christian. I'm going to listen like a Christian. I'm not going to listen to the dirty jokes. I'm not, you know, I'm not going to you know, cheat my boss on the time clock. If you work on a time clock, you're going to work when you're on the time clock. You're not going to ask your friend to, like, punch you in when you're running late, okay? And as you do that and you try to have a high ethical standard at a workplace, people are going to make fun of you for that and say you're just a stick in the mud and they're going to even persecute you for righteousness sake. Is that going to take place? It will take place. If you're a faithful witness in your life, and if you, as part of that faithful witness, you spread the gospel, sooner or later, you're going to run into people who are on the opposite agenda. Right? When two armies are going at each other in a narrow field, if you just keep serving Christ, lo and behold, you're going to run into the enemy somewhere out there. It's going to happen. If you're not running into the enemy, you're probably not marching with the army. If you really are a servant of God, 
not everyone is going to be nice to you. Pray for boldness than rather for everyone to treat you perfectly because if you're really serving God and you really believe there's opposition because there is, then everyone is not always going to be nice to you. If you have a problem with your temper, you know, the focus of your prayer should not be, you know, God, if no one ever got on my nerves again, I would never lose my temper again. If everyone treated me exactly how I wanted to be treated, God, then, you know, we just wouldn't have this problem, would we? So, you know, today, I just want a day when everybody, no one pushes my bad buttons and everyone pushes my good buttons and we'll be fine and I'll be a good Christian and not lose my temper. Don't pray that no one will ever get on your nerves. Pray for the strength to control it and to glorify God by being stronger than the opposition that you're facing from your own bad temper. If you have a problem with envy, don't pray that if I just had everything I wanted, I wouldn't have a problem with envy anymore. Envy is wanting things you don't have, so if I had everything I wanted, I wouldn't be envious. There are people who pray that way. And shame to say it, Though I've never used those words, I've acted as if that were the case. That if God just gave me what I wanted, then everything would be okay. Oh, pray that instead of being envious, you'll have the ability to weep with them that weep and to rejoice with them that rejoice because that's part of your calling as a Christian. Missionaries, don't just pray, I pray everything will go wonderful and everyone will treat them nice. That's, if they are doing their job, that's not going to happen. When you pray for soldiers, you don't pray. Pray that the enemy will be really nice to them and feed them yummy cake and ice cream and Reese's peanut butter cups and good spaghetti. You know, that's not what you pray for the soldiers. If you pray like that for the soldiers, I hope God doesn't listen to your prayers. <laughs> no, when you pray for soldiers, when you pray for knights, when you pray for people engaged in conflict, pray for victory. Pray that God will give them the boldness to preach the gospel in spite of the opposition. Don't pray that everything will be perfect and they'll have perfect weather and a jolly good time. That's not the point. If they need a jolly good time, God will jolly well give it to them. But that's not their business and it's not our business either. That's not the reason we pray. Shouldn't be the reason we pray. We need to pray for boldness to keep serving God in spite of the opposition. And God will give us, and God will answer that kind of prayer. And I know I haven't touched on every conceivable issue, but I think you get the picture that when you come up against opposition as you're obeying God, and if you're obeying God, you will, then the focus of our prayer life, not that we never ask God to do something nice for us, but if that's all you're praying about, you're not on God's agenda and he's not listening. So it doesn't matter how much you pray for it. We need to, here's what we need to do. First of all, we need to be on God's agenda enough that we're experiencing opposition. If we're experiencing no opposition, we need to go to the word of God and say, look, what am I supposed to be doing in this situation? Because if everything is easy and dandy and you're marching all up in a field by yourself apart from the army, you're a deserter and things are, you're in trouble... And maybe everything's nice right now, but if you're not by the battle, then after the battle and the victory's been won, bad things will happen to you. That's not what a soldier is supposed to be doing. All right? It's not. And we are God's slaves. We are God's soldiers. 
That is all through the pages of the word of God. All right? Instead of praying for God to prove his faithfulness to us by giving us what we want, we ought to pray instead that he might enable us to be faithful in our service for him. When you are faced with opposition, do you pray for boldness or balminess? Because if you're on God's agenda and then you interpret the opposition in light of the word of God and then you go to God and you say, God, give me the boldness to keep carrying out your agenda in the face of the opposition that I'm facing, God will answer your prayer and you will be victorious and you, whether in life or even in death, will have been faithful. Eternity is a long time. And this life is a short time in comparison to that. And in the long run, it is infinitely more important that you took the right path than that you had good weather on the path that you chose. Because it's about the destination. It's about the victory. It's about faithfulness to the king. And he will reward you as he sees fit. It's your job to be faithful as he has commanded us to be. Father, I come before you and I pray you would give me the strength, Father, Lord, to face the opposition you bring into my life and to continue to serve you. Father, Lord, sometimes it's scary to preach a message like this because... You wonder what kind of opposition God will bring into my life. I wonder what God will bring into my life. But I pray, Father, Lord, that you would enable me, Father, not to just preach these words, but to live them. Not to just say these things, but to do them. And I pray for those that are here, Father, Lord, that you would enable them and you would give them the boldness, Father, to serve you as they ought, to worship you, Father, to live unto you. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.